You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. With that said, we are uh, in the middle of a sermon series entitled Sinners and Saints, in which we are walking through the book of Romans. And today we will continue in chapter 7. And what we noted the last couple of weeks is really that in chapter 6, there's there's a sort of a thematic shift. And what we have to remember is that um, when this letter was actually written, there were no chapters, there were no sort of numbers to go by. And so we have to remember that this is one cohesive thought, that this all proceeds from what we learned in chapters one through six. And so when we begin to talk about the law and when we begin to talk about the fact that we've actually been set apart for something, um, we have to understand that it comes with the background of chapters one through six. And so if you've, uh, if you've missed those, um, we have been podcasting those. Finally, we're sort of uh, stepping into 2014 as a church, which is great. Um, and so you have that resource there for you if you would like. Um, so the shift that happens in chapter 6 is, is precisely this. In, in Romans chapters 1 through 5, we see what God accomplished for us in the gospel. Like in what Jesus did on our behalf, we see what he has accomplished for us. Now Romans 6 through 8 starts a portion in which we begin to see what it is that Jesus or what it is that God will accomplish in us through the gospel. So this idea that we can assent to maybe the truth of the gospel and not lead a changed life is is impossible. And that's what we get to see uh, really in this portion of Romans. And so the last couple of weeks put forth two very simple questions. The first question was this, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Right? Because Romans chapter three tells us that we're justified freely by grace. Meaning that there's nothing that you and I can do to earn salvation, to earn good favor in the sight of a perfect and holy God. But that that's actually been earned for us in what Jesus did. And yet, that cannot lead us to this understanding that, well, we're no longer underneath that, so let us continue sinning, right? So the first question, should we continue in sin that grace may, may abound? By no means. And the second question was, should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And the same answer is true of that. By no means. Specifically, last week we saw that we can only serve one master. We can't serve both and we can't serve neither. That all of us are slaves to something, whether it's to sin or whether it's to righteousness in Christ. In light of the good news and in light of this new master, today's sermon is entitled Free from the Law, in which Paul is further explaining what it means for us to be delivered from one master to another, to be delivered from the reign and rule of sin into the reign and rule of righteousness, the reign and rule of grace provided for us in Jesus. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've seen that we were indeed captive to sin, that our captivity was compounded by the law that continually not only accused us, but also aroused further sinful behavior. And so we, let's read Romans 7.1 right here. It says this, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. So here's the thing, Paul is going to use an illustration from marriage for us to begin to understand how we, or what it looks like for us to be in relation to the law under a new identity, right? 
So Romans tells us that our old identity is, is a slave to sin, that we were captive to the law, that we were actually dead, that there was nothing that we could do, but that because of the gospel, we've been made alive. And yet, the law doesn't disappear, the law doesn't go away, so how does it look for us to relate to that? Now, um, he's going to use this example of marriage, and in marriage... When two people marry, they, they do what? They, they take vows. They promise to honor and to cherish each other as long as what? As long as they both shall live, right? So when I stood before Nicole on that day, I made a solemn promise that, that can't be undone. And although that day was, was wrought with joy and emotion and, and happiness... I ultimately promised to love her even when those emotions were absent. And this is what was intended by marriage, a lifelong binding covenant that one could not rid oneself of. That no matter how hard we try, and believe me, our, our culture is trying to redefine the terms with maybe prenuptial agreements or annulments and more, that this covenant, that what marriage was created to be, is something that we could not escape easily. And so what Paul is telling us is that we, by nature, were bound to the law in this same way. Right? So, um, and, and this is sort of typically what, what maybe we get accused of in Christianity as being just another set of sort of moral values um, that we should assent to, ascribe to, do our best to sort of live up to in hopes that we maybe accrue for ourselves enough goodwill, enough good favor with God that he'll look and say, Good job, you've led a good life. Come on in. But what Paul is telling us is that the, the law actually does the opposite of that. That the harder we try, actually the, the, the further down we dig our grave. That we can't escape its demands. That like unto marriage, we are committed to it. That there's nothing that we can do to release ourselves from the bond of that covenant to the law, of that expectation to live this righteous, this good life. You see, there's something immensely troubling about that because Paul goes on to tell us that the law not only holds us captive, but it actually incites us to further transgression. That the more we struggle against it, the more difficult it becomes to escape it. Kind of like if you've ever had your finger in a Chinese finger trap. The harder you pull, the more it hurts and the more caught in it you are. Read Romans 7.5. It says this. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now, we, we talked about this last week, so I don't want to spend too much time, but, but our sin inevitably leads to death, right? So in the beginning, when God created all things perfect, we chose to go our own way. And what happened? Death entered into the world. That was a result, the result of our sin. And that's where sin leads us, period, every time. But what he says here is that while we were living in our flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now we saw a little hint of this last week, but perhaps it is a little more explicit here. See, we are rebellious by nature. 
And because of this, upon the revelation of the law, we only desired to further break it, right? So think about it like this. We said, use this same example last week. Remember that time that your mom told you not to touch the stove? What did you do immediately after she told you not to touch the stove? You touched the stove. You would think that if the God of all creation, if this God exists and if he indeed created all things, that if he were to reveal what pleased him, that we would actually strive to do those things, that we would want to do those things, that we would want to live into the purpose that we were created for, right? I mean, I think that's what most of us, whether we're believers or not, are kind of searching for in life. Is like, hey, like, I want to find something that ultimately fulfills um, sort of my, my, whatever it is I think that, that will uh, lend to me purpose, But here's the thing, what, what we begin to understand from Romans is that God is, is a, a perfect God and that because God created all things, he gets to place upon us any obligation that he wants, right? Like, so the creator gets to determine what the created is purposed for. Does, does that make sense? Like, so if you invent something, you get to say what that thing does, right? Pretty simply. Well, this law reveals to us exactly, explicitly, what it is that God created us ultimately to do, which was to reflect his image, was to reflect his glory, his perfection. So the law not only revealed to us sin, the law not only bound us to an obvious written standard, but it gave us a standard to break in our inherent rebellion. We made war against it, and by extension, we made war against the God of all creation. And this is what Paul means when he says that our sinful passions were aroused by the law. So here's the thing. Um, when we look at the law, we have to understand that it is both our captor and insider. It both condemns us and it is what drives us to deeper condemnation in our rebellious nature. So continuing with the law of marriage analogy, Paul tells us that there's only one way to escape. Right? Romans 7.2, the, the second half of the verse, says this. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So here's the thing. We're, we're still using this, this marriage analogy, right? So in the marriage covenant, in this commitment that we make in marriage, we say, look, I'm, I'm committed you, to you until death do us part. And then what Paul essentially says is the, the only way that you're getting out of that is if one of you dies, right? Like, so something significant has to happen. When the death of one in the marriage happens, we understand that, that all of the obligations of the marriage covenant are now set aside. That the law that bound them to one another is only in effect as, as long as one or, or both of them are alive. The only death enables this woman to enter into a new relationship, right? So the, the law of the time, particularly in this culture, was such that if you are married and you slept with another or you got married to another man or woman, you were an adulterer, an adulteress, right? But if the covenant is severed by death, 
you were freed up to a new relationship, right? That's what he says in the, the very next verse. He says, accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is no longer an adulteress. However, here's the thing. When we look at this analogy, we have to understand that it's not perfect. And here's why. In our captivity to the law, death will not deliver us. It will only deliver us over to the condemnation that the law ultimately requires. Does that make sense? So if Christianity is simply another list of things that we do do and do not do, if Christianity is simply another moral standard that you and I have to ascribe to, to the best of our abilities in hopes that we might live up to it, we will experience nothing but condemnation because all of us have failed it at some point, myself included. And there's no amount of work that I can do to, to rectify that situation. So, Here's what the question then becomes. If even death cannot liberate us from the law, how can we be rid of it? How can we escape from underneath this law? How can we escape from the burden of the fact that the way the world works and the way the world is ordered, we can't live up to the standard that we've been called to live to? How can we escape the inescapable? Here's the good news, brothers and sisters. We have indeed died to the law, right? Like that's what Romans chapter 7 tells us. It says you have died to the law. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is how, how can this be? How can one die before they have died? Romans 7, 4 says this. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So here's, here's what's crazy. Um, we died to the law so that we might be joined to another. So in the same way that the, the only way you're getting out of a marriage covenant is through death Paul tells us, you've died to the law. You've been set free from that so that you might be joined to another. So in the same way that we can't serve sin and God, we've been released from the bondage of sin. We've been released from the law in order that we might be joined to Christ. In Christ's death, we have died, and in his life, we have new life. And this is really where, where we want to focus in, because this is going to lend us really a good understanding of what, what Paul is trying to say here. And, and we kind of have to go back to the beginning to, to fully understand this. In the covenant that God made with, with Adam and Eve, they were created good, perfect even, right? Like that's what the Bible tells us. It says that he created all things, he stood back and he went, this is good. These things are good. Everything's in rhythm. Everything is in harmony. And God set before them really just, just one, one rule, one command. Do not eat of the tree. And in this covenant, the terms and conditions for, for, for blessedness, for remaining in the favor of God, are related to what? They're related to obedience. Right? 
So this is how you're going to stay or remain in the favor of God. You are going to just simply obey this one rule. And now here's the thing. Let's just understand this. It's not so much about the rule itself. It's about what the rule means. It means that we're underneath the authority of God, right? That we were created for him. And so it's not necessarily about a certain fruit and whether it would taste bad or good or, or whatever, but it's about establishing the authority of God. And in this covenant, the terms and conditions are related to obedience. And we all know what happened because here's the thing, we still feel its reverberations today. A whole race tainted by the disobedience of one man, right? They, they went against the one singular rule. Like there's one thing to keep. You would think it would be pretty simple. You look at, you look at the law of the land here in the, in the U.S., and Lord knows I'm sure I've broken more than my fair share of, of laws, like, there's, there's one, one rule. And ultimately, they forsake that, and a whole race is sentenced to futility in light of the failure of Adam. But here's the thing. Jesus fulfilled the covenant. And here's, here's what we mean by this. At no time did Christ violate the law of God. So when Jesus came, he lived the perfect life that the law requires. His perfect obedience is equally the ground for our salvation, as is his punishment. Yes, he died for our sin, but he also lived for our righteousness. He accomplished what, what no other human could accomplish. He remained totally and completely obedient to the law of God from the beginning. Jesus kept the covenant, a covenant of works, and he delivered us into the covenant of grace that God proclaimed immediately after the fall. See, here's the thing. Here's the problem. Again, and I've, I've mentioned this several times already this morning. But more often than not, following Jesus is viewed, again, as just simply something that we forsake our freedoms for. That it's simply, like I said, a list of things that we do and don't do. So... <laughs> It becomes essentially another way in which we bring into our control our own destiny. And, and the problem is, is that not, it's not even just from the New Testament, right? So if, if you've ever picked up a Bible before, it's split into sort of two halves. They're not quite equal. There's a lot more books in the other one. But anyway... It's split into two halves. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament is just every book that's been written after Jesus came. And a lot of times, a lot of Christians neglect the Old Testament because a lot of the good news, we think, is, is just in the New Testament. Like So Jesus came, and that's where, where we gain salvation. That's where we find out really, really where it is that, that we have hope and life and peace and joy. And so what we tend to do is we look at the Old Testament that, that, yes, lists the law, that, yes, has commands, that, yes, tells us, hey, you probably shouldn't kill someone. That'd be a good idea to not do that. And we look at it as this big book of just restriction upon restriction upon restriction. But here's the thing, the, the promise of God, the promise of the Bible from the very beginning, like from Genesis chapter 3 is that although the law has condemned us 
And although the law is what, what shows us our sin, that we would not be redeemed, that we would not be freed by keeping the law, but that we would be freed, that we would be redeemed by the ministry of someone who kept the law on our behalf. See, here's, here's the thing. <laughs> we, we tend to look at, at God as maybe this uh, impatient, um, angry, um, demanding, uh, any list of words that, that you could come up with, that, that kind of God, essentially all of them encroaching upon your freedom. But the fact of the matter is, is that at the moment that we forsook what we were created to do and be, God could have immediately destroyed it, right? Like if you've ever started a drawing and you're like, yeah, this does which happens to me all the time because I don't know how to draw. But um, if you ever start a drawing or a doodle and then what happens? You end up just tearing it off the page and throwing it in the trash. You're like, no, that's no good. I'm going to start over. I mean, that's probably what God could have done. But rather, he promised that redemption would come through the seed of the woman. That's what he says in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And you will bruise her heel, but he will crush your head. This promise, this new covenant was not that we would redeemed by keeping the law. So here's the thing. Again, Christianity following Jesus is not about keeping a, a set of rules. We are justified through the works of Jesus alone. He did what we couldn't do, Right? So he looked at the law, he took the law, and he obeyed it. And so here, here's the thing, we're in the middle of a season called Lent, in which we look forward to Easter, we look forward to the day that we celebrate as believers the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, right? Which is kind of typically the, the biggest problem that people have with, with the Christian faith, this idea that someone would, be, would, would rise from the dead, We tend to look at Jesus as some ultra-spiritual, which like, okay, so God and man thing, I don't know how that works. Okay. But, but the truth of the matter is that Hebrews tells us that, that, that Jesus experienced all, all that we experienced. We're, like I said, we're in a season called Lent. And Lent is a 40-day period in which we really look back to the time where Jesus spent being tempted. And, and what we see and what Hebrews tells us is that we have an empathetic high priest and that we can come boldly before the throne of God. Why? Because we were so good? No. Because we have an empathetic high priest who has paved a way for us to the throne in order to find grace and mercy in our time of need. And so here's what it all comes down to. What bearing does this truth have upon us? Well, just like we said last week, in the same way that we cannot serve two masters, we cannot wed two lovers. We have been redeemed by free, incredible, unimaginable grace, and by it, we are obligated to our new master. You see, we are not just given grace in order to squander it, right? What were the two questions that really this, this section posed to us? Should we sin that grace may abound? By no means. Should we sin because we are no longer under the law, but under grace? By no means. 
Romans 7, 4 and Romans 7, 6 say this. Likewise, my brother, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. And verse 6 says this, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This, this is the, the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that we have died. It wasn't the law that died, right? And so here's where we begin to see the interrelation between Christian, like the Christian taking hold of the grace of God, like knowing that we can accomplish our salvation. Knowing that I can freely admit and say, look, I, I'm not perfect. I'm, there's lots of things that I do day after day after day that, that are displeasing to God. And yet he counts me as his son simply because of the fact that Jesus' good works have been put in place of my imperfect works. And yet Paul says what? There's, there's still a responsibility there. Like that, that we are still supposed to live in a certain way. Right? Like Jesus himself says that until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will perish from the law until, until all is accomplished. And unfortunately, throughout Christian history, again, we've said this almost every week during this, this series... But throughout Christian history, we've been known more for our morality, for our ability or our striving to keep the law, rather than for our message, which is that the law has been kept for us. The law was kept for us in the perfect work of Jesus. And, and, it's, and it's easy to get those things complicated. Because it's, it's easy to look at something like the law and say, look, that's quantifiable. I can, I can see that. I cannot do those things or I can do these things. And I can measure myself. And so we, like, you know, like, <laughs> like most people, want to look at things and be able to say, okay, I can, I can measure myself according to this. Not only that, I can measure others according to this. So I can look around and I can say, okay, compared to this guy, I'm doing okay. I've got some catching up to do with him, but at least I'm better than that guy. But here's the thing. If, 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 you're, uh, if you're a Christian in the room, what we can't do is go to the polar end of the spectrum, right? We've talked about this before. What we frequently see in human history is this desire or this sort of gravitation towards the poles of any argument, Right? So whether that's politically, whether that's religious, whatever it might be, right? You just kind of see the swing of history back and forth. You go Middle Ages, you go Renaissance, you go uh, Industrial Revolution, you go, it's just back and forth. The same thing happens in Christian history. Where you have people who believe they can earn their salvation, and then you have people who believe that because Jesus earned their salvation, they don't have to show any allegiance to him. They can behave however they want. They can do whatever they want because they're free. 
But what, what Paul is telling us is that um, the law is no longer something that condemns us. It's actually something that shows us how we can please the God from whom we've received this great gift. And if you've ever received a good gift, like a really good one, not like a sweater or whatever, but, but if you ever received like a really good gift, you want to show your gratitude, right? I mean, typically, unless you're just, I don't know, in some alternate universe. Um, okay, I got to stop watching sci-fi. Anyway, um, what Paul is telling us is that this law no longer reigns over us, that the law does not reign over corp- corpses, and in Jesus we are dead. We are dead to sin and the, and the law, and we are alive to righteousness and to grace. Do you, do you hear that? So last week we talked about how we were dead to sin, but we were alive to righteousness. So brothers and sisters, we should be growing We should be looking at the law, not in light of something to accomplish, but in light of something through which we say thank you. Our death has freed us up to a new relationship, a living, abiding relationship with Christ. As the widow is released from the wedding covenant, we have been released from the law so that we might produce fruit for God, right? Like, like that's, the, that's the summation of this, of this entire section. I feel like more often than not, especially in, in sort of this season of, of Christian history, especially in this part sort of of the country in which we, if we recognize sort of where we're at culturally, we want to read this part. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. And we stop there. And we go, yes, this is so great. We've been freed from the law. We've been shown grace. We've been shown mercy by God. What we couldn't accomplish has been accomplished for us. But what does it say? It says, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Or like in verse 4, it says, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So here's the thing. To, To obtain salvation... There's nothing you can do. It's been done for you. But upon receiving salvation, there's something that happens in you in which you are freed up not to be condemned by the law, but to live in light of the law for the glory of God. Because what Hebrews 12 tells us is that apart from our righteousness, no one will see God. So here's, here's the, 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 really the takeaway of, of the entire morning if you're a believer. We need to begin taking seriously what it means to follow Jesus. We need to take seriously the law, not because it can earn us anything, but, but that because through it, we actually show that God is good. Through it, we actually show that God is a good master. That unlike our previous master, the master of sin, which leads us to death, we have a new master that leads us to righteousness and to life and to grace and to life, not just life, but life abundant. We cannot go on sinning, for we are ruled by a good and gracious master. We've been released from the law so that we might actually produce good works under the law. So what Ephesians 2 tells us, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
for good works, which he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. And so if you're, if you're not a believer in the room, there, I mean, this is so key for you to understand really what it means to, be, to, to follow Jesus. Like, and if you're here this morning, you're, you're probably at least wondering kind of why we do what we do. Like, why do we get together and sing songs, which is kind of strange? And why do we come together and we, we listen to you know, someone talk about the Bible and things like that? Is it so that we can go home and sort of check off, okay, I went to church this week? No, it's not. We're free from the law. Understand that, that, that salvation is found in, in grace, grace alone. But know that, that free grace, that good gifts, that those things have an inescapable consequence. That we are, that, that it changes you. That upon coming to know Jesus, it changes the way you live. Not because you have to earn anything, but as a thank you to the one who's earned everything for you.